Welcome to First Importance, the official podcast of the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer is that you will be blessed and encouraged today by this message. Luke chapter 5. And tonight, briefly, we will look at verses 1 through 11. And there are two points that I want us to take home with us tonight. I want to give, give them to you at the very beginning. There are two things I, I want you to observe in this text as we come to it. And that is, I want us to see together, especially here in the first half, but it's all throughout this passage and all throughout the Bible, I want you to see the power of God on display. The power of God on display. And secondly, I want you to see the submission of the servant. The submission of the servant. This is a wonderful text. Uh, I have not visited with you yet in my ministry here. The Lord has spoken to my heart uh, in the last several days through this passage, and I hope that tonight as we read this passage together uh, that it will be a blessing to you. Let's read uh, through verses 1 through 11, and then we'll come back and go uh, sentence by sentence, word by word through this passage. Beginning in chapter 5 and verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, this is speaking of Jesus, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, you know my own inadequacies and inability to preach this text. So I pray tonight that you would, by your Holy Spirit, as we read these words and study them, that you would illuminate the truth into the hearts of your people. Father, for whatever areas that we are struggling with, I pray that tonight would be a night where we, we leave everything behind and follow you. Forgive us where we have followed you only in part. And I pray that tonight this room and any of those who are watching online, for this audience, that today 
we would be men, women, boys, and girls who would leave everything, abandon it all, and follow you. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. Beginning in verse 1, we are kind of separated uh, from the text that's preceding it. It means that at another time, or a little bit later on in Jesus' ministry, this event began to take place. And here's what's happening. A great crowd of people are pressing in on Jesus. Now, in this surrounding area, it is estimated that around the time that Jesus' ministry was going on, that around this area, there was about three million in population. And so this would not have been the full three million, obviously, but would have been a great crowd, a huge crowd gathered around Jesus to hear what he has to say. They, they long, they're longing to hear from him. We have learned earlier in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus was growing in wisdom and stature. He's growing in favor with God and with man. He's teaching. He is teaching as one with authority. And the people are all gathering around him. Uh, you know, today we have various forms of entertainment. Uh, you can stay at home and... You can watch whatever kind of show that you want, want to watch. Hey, it's fall season, and it's football season. Now, I love football season. I love it when the Razorbacks are winning. And when the Razorbacks are not winning, it's not a lot of fun in the Hall household. Sometimes there have been times past where I've had to turn off the TV because I've found it difficult to maintain my testimony while commenting on the coaching ability of someone who's obviously far superior to me in that category. I, I guess it really hit home uh, two weeks ago, or no, it was one week ago, I remember the play, and I said, oh, come on. And Bo said, yeah, come on. And I went, okay, all right. Well, we're raising him to root for the Razorbacks. You know, we are surrounded by entertainment. And it actually may be the hallmark of the American culture. That's right. We would rather be entertained, uh, we'd rather be entertained than anything else. We would, as a matter of fact, during the Great Depression, one of the only industries that did not suffer was the entertainment industry. Distraction at all costs. To distract us from the real problems, we would rather uh, we would rather play the fiddle while Rome burns. It's the it's a hallmark of the American culture. We want to be entertained. Now, mankind has always want to be entertained, and so in this time there weren't TVs, there weren't movies. Uh, very few things could occupy your time to entertain you in between the time that you had to work. But when someone came through public speaking. And speaking, people would gather around them, especially if, if they were talented. And so this great crowd of people are gathered around Jesus. And the Bible says here that they're pressing in on him. They're pressing in on him. Now, once again, you look at Jesus and you say, wow, what a wonderful speaker. He can maintain his composure and his frame of thought even while people are pressing in on him. You know how little it takes to throw me off kilter up here. You know how easy my attention is taken off. But here, people are pressing in on Jesus, and he is continuing to teach them, and they're longing to hear the word of God. 
When Jesus spoke, what the people heard were the very words of God. Jesus never spoke anything out of turn. He never spoke anything incorrectly or with a wrong or sinful tone. Perfect in every, can you imagine that? That's so alien from us. Even if somehow you're able to get the message right uh, in any message you want to deliver in your household, there's a good chance that you're going to deliver it in the wrong way. You're going to deliver it with the wrong attitude, with the wrong heart. Every single thing that Jesus said was perfect, was timely. I've met people like that in my life or similar who have always seemed to have the right word at the right time, but I know that their words are going to fall short, not Jesus's. Every single word, the words of God. That's why John will say in 1 John, and we, we heard him with our ears. We looked at him. We beheld him. He is glory. And now back in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Every single thing he does is right. And Jesus is preaching the word to these people. He's standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's the Sea of Galilee, just another term for that body of water, it's a fresh body of water, 64 square miles the size of Washington, D.C. It was a great source of, for the economy in Israel. A lot of fishing took place. A lot of the economy uh, really bent on this fresh water. It provides Israel even to this day with fresh water. And Jesus is standing by this lake, and he looks out in verse 2, and he sees Two boats. Now, if we didn't know any better, we'd say, huh, what a coincidence, right? What a coincidence. Everyone's pressing in on Jesus. What a coincidence that these two boats are here. But you and I know, of course, and we'll soon discover throughout the rest of this account, that there are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. And let me uh, take that home for you tonight. Whatever you're going through in your life, can I remind you, there are no coincidences in the kingdom of God. He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows precisely what you need, and he's ready to offer to you all that you need in whatever situation found in Jesus Christ for your benefit. Jesus looks at it in verse 2. He sees two boats by the lake, but these boats are unoccupied. We learn nextly that the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Fishing, like I said earlier, was a, was a, a big part of the economy in Israel. It wasn't a hobby. Today, you go out, you go fishing. It's something that you really enjoy. You're just going to relax. But for the men who are doing the fishing right now, I'm sure that there may have been moments of enjoyment. But for them, it was their line of work. It's how they fed their family. And my friends, it was hard work. So for my fishermen in here, you may say to your wife, you're going out to fish and you're going to do some hard work. It's not the same thing. They didn't cast out their line. They had these big old heavy nets 
made of, of uh, robes, made of special material that they would throw out. It would have weights on the end. Depending on how they wanted to fish, they may drag it or they just may throw it out. And they had to fish at nighttime. So they couldn't fish during the day. They had to fish at nighttime so that the, if they did it during the day, the fish would see the thick nets and they wouldn't be caught up in the nets. And so they would do this at nighttime so the shadows wouldn't spook them and spook off the fish. For that and several other reasons, the fishermen worked all night long. And it was hard, hard work, heavy, heavy work. And what they did that night provided for their family the next day. Now, it's not that they would eat that fish, although I'm sure they would have taken some home, but they would have taken that fish the next day when they uh, were finished, they would have taken it to the market and would have sold that, and that would have been money for sustenance for them and their family the next week, the next few days, for them to get by. Now, when they were finished fishing, it didn't just end when day broke, because they would take the fish to the market, and then after that, they would go out to their nets, and they would begin to mend their nets. Historians and people who look at this period of time will say that the fishermen would spend almost more time mending their nets than they would be out on the sea fishing. And it's because those nets were expensive and they had to be laid out right and set out right so that they would try and they wouldn't rot out. They couldn't just go over to Walmart and buy another set of nets for the next day. They had to make this last, and so they would let it dry out and pick off all of the things that could, that could damage the nets, and they would fix them where they needed to be fixed. Because if it rotted or if it tore, then all of their fish the next day, all of their catch would be gone along with their livelihood for that week. And when Jesus looks out at these boats, their boats are empty, but the fishermen are on the shore, and they're tending to, they are mending their nets. They're watching them. Verse 3. And so Jesus gets into one of their boats. <laughs> just like Jesus. Uh, Jesus goes up and he just gets into one of their boats. The boat happened to be Simon's. Again, no coincidence. He gets into Simon's boat and he asks him to put out a little from land. Now, this man has been working all night long, and he is in the middle, and we're about to learn that this was not a good night's work, and it did not yield for him what he anticipated or needed for it to yield for him and for his family. And he's out here cleaning his nets, and Jesus has the audacity to say, let me take up a little bit more of your time, Simon. I know you're tired. I know you've been up all night long. But it says, hey, he steps into his boat. Let's push this out a little bit from the shore. And so they, Simon gets into the boat and they put out a little bit from the shore. And the Bible says that Jesus sits down and he teaches the people from the boat. Jesus, that's the, that's the position of teachers in the New Testament time. They sit down and they teach. Jesus is using the water to help echo off his message onto the shore. All these people who are gathered up right up close to the shore, and Jesus is teaching them from the boat. This is his, he is he's preaching the gospel to them. Verse 4. 
And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now remember, Jesus at this point is a carpenter turned itinerant preacher turned, well, miracle worker, but they've seemed mild by comparison to what Peter is about to see, Simon is about to see. He's not in the fisherman uh, hall of fame. It wouldn't appear at this time. He knows nothing about it. He's just done carpentry. But he tells Peter, I know you've been fishing all night long, but let's push out here into the deep part of the water and throw out your nets. Let down your nets. What is Simon's response in verse 5? Simon answered, Master. Now, before you go any further there, he is not calling Jesus Lord here. This is not a term of reverence, but this is just a term of respect. It would be like saying, sir, master, he says here. We toiled all night and took nothing. Now, there's some great discouragement in that statement. We've worked all night long. Do you know how hard it is to be out on that sea all night long? taking that heavy net and throwing it out and pulling it back in and getting nothing. And taking that net and throwing it out and pulling it back in and getting nothing. And we did that all night long. And we've been doing this for a long time. My daddy did it. Probably his granddaddy did it. We've been doing this for a long time, all night long, and we got nothing. For all of that hard work, Jesus, absolutely nothing in our nets. But, he says, at your word, I will let down the nets. Notice his obedience there. Jesus says, do it. He says, hey, uh, we've tried this all night. But at your word, I'll do it. He didn't expect much, as we'll see in a few moments, he didn't expect what was about to happen. After all, he was the fisherman. This was his area of expertise. This is where he could teach Jesus something. But at your words, I'll let down the net. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. Notice the omniscience and the omnipotence of Jesus here. Now, perhaps it is that Jesus knew precisely where that school of fish were, and he guided the boat to that spot so that they could cast the nets down and then pull the fish up. Or perhaps when they took out on that boat, those fish that knew the voice of their creator divinely came right to where Jesus had planned for them to be. Perhaps he called out to them in some way and they, they came to the master. But at any rate, Jesus had, shows him his omniscience here. This may not be what he grew up doing. Joseph may not have taken him out on the Sea of Galilee to fish. And maybe he just learned carpentry from his earthly daddy. But what, he, what Peter and the disciples are going to learn here is that even though it wasn't his area of expertise, there's nothing outside of the knowledge of God. Jesus knew. He knows. And not only does this show, his, show us his omniscience that he knows, but Jesus, it shows us his omnipotence. He is all-powerful. 
They had fished all night long. And what had they brought in? Nothing. And yet, at the command of Jesus, they do the same thing and their nets are full. Let me tell you, there's a sermon in there. I bet you've got a sermon on that one, Doc. I bet you've got a sermon on that one. And I'd like to hear it. Man, I'm liable to invite you up here to preach it right now. But, well, not right now. We'll let you do it later. But there's something about that. You may be working real hard in your life at something, working real, real hard at something. You're going to end up with nothing. All of your good works are going to end up with nothing. You're going to work hard all your life. You're going to try to be a moral person. You're going to try to be good, attend church, tithe, do all of those things that you've been taught to do. You're going to be a good witness, but none of your works will bring you the fruit that you need. But it's funny how when Jesus enters the equation, the result is multiplied. They toiled after the fish all night long, and they got nothing. But when they were obedient to Jesus, their nets were full. They began breaking, the Bible says, verse 7. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. These professional fishermen were not prepared for what had just happened. They had never seen a catch quite like it. And they're calling out to some of their friends in the boat, hey, get over here. Our nets are breaking. We're going to need some help hauling this in. We're going to need some help getting this fish in. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them. And they came and filled both of the boats. Now, I know you're thinking that they're in some kind of little rowboat, maybe like a canoe. But probably what would be typical for a, a boat that would be out on the Sea of Galilee for fishermen is estimated to be a boat about 20 foot long and 7 foot wide. Large enough for Jesus to fall asleep at the bottom of the boat on another occasion. Now, with that being said, they didn't fill up a canoe with boats. They filled up this big stage-sized boat with fish. All from the command of Jesus who said, let down your nets out here. The people come and help them. They fill up their boats. And the Bible says, uh, they came to help them and fill the boats so that they began to sink. <laughs> That's the blessings of God, by the way. When you do things his way, things aren't always going to be easy, but his blessings are always God-sized blessings. Their boats begin to sink. Verse 8. We've seen the power of God on display here. Now I want you to notice the response of the servant. The submission of the servant. What's Peter's response? But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. In the presence of the holiness of Jesus, in the presence of his power, seeing all of that on display with the fish filling up the boats, Peter's response is not, let's take these fish in and take them to the market. But he lets go of the net and he bows down at the feet of Jesus. And what is his response? His response is, depart from me. Depart from me. I'm a wicked man. By the way, that is salvation. 
Salvation does not come outside of that. Salvation does not come into the heart of a believer unless the Holy Spirit has brought about conviction for the sinful person that we are. We're not good people. We're not okay people. We are sinful people, and our sin deserves death and deserves hell. Isaiah, when in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of the lords, he says, woe is me, I am undone. I don't know how one piece of my body is staying connected to the other piece of my body. In the presence of your holiness, Peter says, you got to get away from me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blemish you. I'm going to cause you blemish. You can't be around me. Get away from me, Lord. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. He began with respect, sir, master. But when he saw the holiness of God, and came underneath the conviction of his own sin, his response went from just general respect to genuine reverence. Lord, Lord, you're not just any sir. You're not just any man. You're someone greater. It'll be Peter who later, when asked, who do people say that I am? He'll say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter knows here under this conviction, he says, get away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Verse nine, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken in. Completely taken off guard. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Before Peter leaves his boat, as we'll see in a few moments, Jesus called it. Jesus knew it. Peter, don't be afraid. You're not going to need these nets anymore. You're not going to need these fish anymore. From now on, I've got a new job for you. You're going to be catching men. Again, we see his power here. He knows his wisdom Peter, before he even fully responds, he says, from now on, you're going to be catching men. Verse 11. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, we read that, and it sounds like a really good story. I mean, we believe it's true, but it sounds really, really good. But you imagine these men who... This is their very livelihood. Let's say that they were in their 20s. Let's say that they were in their mid-20s. They had families they had to provide for. There was a level of respect that was given to them because they worked and carried on the family business. And what is their response? Their response wasn't, Jesus, I would love to go with you, but I got mouths to feed. You know, Jesus, I would love to go with you, but... You're going to have to let me bury my dad first. You're going to have to let me take care of these things first. What was their response? They left everything. That boat on the shore with its nets, I, in my mind, maybe this isn't what happened, but I can still see the fish flopping in that boat, trying to get out. They left it all behind because what they would gain in Jesus was better than anything they had in that boat. Now, 
here's the problem when it comes to believers today. We don't believe that following him is better than what we got in our boat because we got a lot of good things that distract us, that keep our attention. And when we get sad and when we get down and when our hearts ache, when we feel the weight of the world on our shoulders, we distract ourselves with it. Yet uh, another fool's gold. We, we look at it and we, we see it glimmer and we hold on to it and we say, oh, isn't it beautiful? But meanwhile, everything is still the same around us. The trials are still pressing in on us. I want to challenge you to be like those men. Leave the boat behind and follow Jesus. Everything. It's in our past. Now, Lord, you're not just a sir to me. You're not just a good teacher. You're my Lord. You're my master. I want to follow you with everything that I have. My friends, Jesus didn't just call those disciples to do that. He calls us to do it. Leave it all behind and follow him. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I thank you for any way in which you can speak through my mumbling, fumbling mouth. Lord, I thank you. And I pray that you would bless our church, that we would be men and women who would love you and leave, leaving everything behind, that we would cling to you and to you alone. Lord, please bless us and use us. I pray that you would bring revival in this church, a powerful movement of your spirit in our community. Lord, I pray that we would see men and women, boys and girls saved, lives changed. And Father, and for those areas in which we don't long for revival or your movement, I pray that you would provide conviction and repentance for us. Lord, let us leave it all behind and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to First Importance. It is our prayer that you have been blessed by this podcast. We welcome you to join us in person for worship at First Baptist West Memphis on Sundays at 1045 a.m., where our desire is to love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.